I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 45. So if you would like to follow along, I'm going to read 28 verses. So it might be a big chunk, but I'm going to read it. And if you'd like to follow along, there is a Bible in the back pew. If not, you can just listen. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard all about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land and for the next five there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then... It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshan and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because of five years of famine are still coming. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will be destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt, about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your family back to me, and I will give the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this, take carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your possessions, because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver, five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. Let's pray. Father, uh, we just thank you for your word. And this morning, we just ask that you would open our eyes, that we might behold beautiful things. 
found within it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll never forget stopping into the office of a stockbroker in Freeport, Illinois. I was, I think, around 29, and I had a little money in my pocket for the first time as a new pastor. And I wanted to learn about the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA, and I wanted to start investing. And so I went into to the stockbroker's office, and he sat me down in a nice plush leather chair, and he began talking, and he was real energetic, and and I couldn't notice an NFL football player's picture right above his desk. It was huge, and it was signed. In fact, the signature was about this big. You couldn't miss it. Well, this stockbroker, he knew that you couldn't miss it, and that's why he put it there. It was a lead-in. And he saw me looking up at it, and he said, Yeah, he invests here with me. I said, Really? And he told me all about this guy. I think he was a linebacker. Don't worry, he wasn't a Packer. He was some other NFL guy. I forget who it was. And he went on to say how this guy invested with him. And, and he said, you know, this guy can get all the girls he wants. Yeah, he can. He tells me all about it. He can get any girl in the world that he wants. And this guy has so much money and he brings it here and I invest it. And he tells me these stories. And in the very next breath, he said, so what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. He turned blue and green and orange and he had no idea. He thought he was just talking the talk with this young guy, right? I'm a pastor. You know, sometimes our identity shocks people. It absolutely shocks people. When Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, they were absolutely shocked. Not in a million years would they have ever thought that the brother they were so mean and cruel and nasty to that they sold him as a slave some 20 years earlier would be right before them the prime minister of all of Egypt. It just floored them. But you know what took their breath away even more than Joseph's status and his wealth and his power and his position? was his treatment of them. This blew them away even more. Joseph forgave them of an egregious, dark, sinister family sin that had been buried and hidden for over 20 years. Here Joseph is, the prime minister of Egypt, and he's treating his brothers with these overtures of love and forgiveness. And it floored them. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, forgiving people is hard. It doesn't come easy. I, I think we all have relationships within the family, with coworkers, within the community, in which, boy, things are not right. Maybe it's with a mother-in-law. And we have these relationships that go on and rub and chafe against us, and there's really not peace. There really hasn't been forgiveness. There is no reconciliation. Well, the good news this morning is, 
is that because God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ, we can learn how to forgive others. And so here within our text, I want to highlight three things that can help us to forgive others. And the first is this. We need a touch of humanity. We need to trust in God's sovereignty. And we need to understand that even when we forgive people, they're imperfect. We need to temper ourselves to understand this world is an imperfect, fallen world. Even when we extend forgiveness, there still will be messes. You see, look at the first point I want to make. Joseph extends this touch of humanity to his brothers. It totally shocked him. He wept, verse 2, so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and all of Pharaoh's household heard about him. My apologies, I'm in the NIV. I know you're ESV. Sorry about that. Dan warned me and I should have had my ESV. Um, So Joseph, when he saw his brothers, they could hear the eerie weep down the corridors in the palace. He was just weeping over his brothers. And then he says this in verse 4. Come close to me. And you can almost see this scene. Joseph is weeping. He's trying to compose himself. Okay, whatever the brothers believe about him, all right, they have to admit this guy cares. And then he says, I am Joseph. Wow. Not only did we sell you as a slave, because we're so jealous of you, but now you're the prime minister and you're weeping over us. Whoa, this is supernatural. We're not used to this. You know, when we see Joseph with his love, his longing, his tears, his embracing, we know that forgiveness isn't just this steely resolve of the mind, is it? For forgiveness to really come out and engage people, it has to touch your heart. I know as Christians and as believers and non-believers, sometimes we think, okay, I need to forgive this person. Okay, I forgive you, right? (laughs) We've all seen our kids. Now, Caleb, tell Joab you're sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I forgive you. You know, forgiveness has this emotional human element that we see here. And so when I ask, what does it look like to show true humanity towards another? I think it looks a lot like the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation means in the flesh. When God forgave us, he sent his son, Jesus, who came, born of a virgin Mary, took on flesh, was human just like you and me, ate, drank, slept, rode in the boat, sweated, got tired. You could talk with him. You could eat with him. He sent Jesus his greatest revelation of who God is, the God-man, to relate to us on the most human level that you could ever imagine. And so when Jesus went around Galilee and wherever he taught, he taught that he was the Son of God. And when people saw Jesus, they thought, well, he looks just like us. Hebrews says he was tempted in every way, right, just like us, but yet was without sin. 
I mean, Jesus was human. And what did Jesus do for us? He called us into a relationship. He pursued us, even when we didn't even care about him. In our rebellion and sin, while we were off with our pleasures and passions, hating and hating one another, living in envy and and, and conceit, Jesus closed the gap and he touched us with a touch of humanity. You know, the Council of Chalcedon in 551 A.D., they they came together in the, the church at the time and they said, you know what, this Jesus was the Son of God and he was human. He wasn't one, he wasn't the other. He was the God-man. And so when you read the New Testament, you, you read verses like Jesus wept over Lazarus' death. That he looked at Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem. Jesus touched people with his humanity and in a unique way because he was divine. He was God. I don't know about you, but I don't cry that easily. And back in 1992, um, in Partyville, Wisconsin, I sat in the front row of a church. I never should have done it. And in this church... They had popcorn prayer time, you know, and you could raise your hand and pray for Aunt Melba, who stubbed her toe, you know, that type of prayer and praises and prayers. And, and so I raised my hand and I asked for prayer. And I asked for forgiveness because I had an improper relationship with a young lady in that church. And, and I stood up and I said, you know, I just like to ask forgiveness. And God was working on my heart. And I sat back down and I just wept. And I felt so stupid that I sat in the front row because I just wanted to leave. I mean, I, was, I just couldn't even handle it the rest of the worship service. And I sat there and wept. But how did I get there? How did I get to the point of true repentance in which I, would, I wanted forgiveness from God and from others? And I was open and my heart was ready. Well, I got there because of two men. One was the pastor of the church. He came and talked to me, and he said, You know, listen, uh, God has a greater plan for you than you can ever imagine, and what you're doing isn't right. And I knew he loved me when he spoke to me. Then there was another guy in the church. And one time after this event, he saw me right before I got in my car, and he gave me a hug. It's like, oh, Yuck! Don't hug me. I'm a guy. And I knew he loved me. You see, they extended a touch of true humanity. And, and God wants you to extend a touch of true humanity to those around you. But not only that, in order to forgive, I think we need to trust in God's sovereignty. Look at verse 8 in particular. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. This is a remarkable verse. Uh, You've heard another verse like it in chapter 50. It's a famous one. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good, right? And, And here Joseph is picking up on this theme. He's looking at his brothers. They obviously are stunned. They're shocked. You see, Joseph could take their life with one word. Guards. Execute them. 
I'm the prime minister. He could take their life instantaneously if he wanted. And yet here we see some of Joseph's theology. How in the world can he be so forgiving to these, this motley crew of brothers that were so sinister? It's his theology that he believes that even in these dark, nasty situations, God is in control. You didn't send me, brothers. God did. What in the world? This is amazing theology. You know, how is it that you can have tears for an enemy? It is the belief that God is sovereign. That he can take evil and make good out of it. God is never the author of evil, but God is always in control of all things that happen. You see, R.C. Sproul said of this text that while we might disobey God's will of command, okay, you can do things that God doesn't want you to do. However, you can never disobey God's will of events. What God purposes in His divine plan of things will come to pass no matter what. Joseph knew a God that loved goodness, that was continually fighting on behalf of his people, that was continually fighting behind the scenes, whether people realized it or not, to make people love each other. It's a miracle. What the brothers experienced with their brother Joseph was a miracle of God, a belief that God overrides human activity, that God can transcend evil, that no matter how bad you've been wounded, abused, neglected, that there can be forgiveness because we have a God that is truly good. You see, the trust in God's sovereignty is absolutely essential for forgiveness. Joseph didn't forgive his brothers on the precondition that they were repentant. He didn't forgive them on the contingents on their reform or how they would behave afterwards. It was based on God's plan that we see through Jesus Christ, that while we were yet enemies, God sent his Son to love us up and die for us. You see, this was no easy task to forgive these brothers. These brothers were not good church boys. Reuben, the oldest, slept with his father's wife, Bildah. Simeon, Levi, slaughtered a Shechemite village for hardly a good reason at all, including the children and the women. Judah slept with his daughter-in-law and then wanted her stoned because he heard that she was a prostitute when he was the one who slept with her. To give you a little idea, these ten brothers were not church boys. They were not easy guys to forgive. These were the ten brothers that plotted to sell Joseph, never to be seen again, down to Egypt. And yet here we see Joseph forgiving them. It's a touch of humanity, a trust in God's sovereignty. It has to be. Because in all human probability, 
the chances of this happening are zilch, apart from God. But not only that, we see that in order to forgive, we need to temper ourselves for imperfect reality. I think one of the most curious verses in chapter 45 is verse 24. You see, Joseph forgives them, reveals his identity, his power, his wealth, his status. The the brothers are probably in a daze. We can't believe this is happening. And he sends them off. He says, go bring back dad. Oh, you can just see the anticipation. Old Jacob hasn't seen Joseph in 20-some years, thought he was dead. Go bring back Dad. And by the way, on your journey, Joseph says, don't quarrel. (laughs) Don't quarrel. You see, forgiveness is a long time in coming and a long time in going. You think about it. How long did it take for this moment to happen? Joseph was sold into Egypt, probably age 16, 17. When he first journeyed down to Egypt, he passed the great pyramids. The pyramids had been there 700 years. And Joseph probably thought, you know, it'll be another 700 years before I ever reconcile with my family. I mean, my family to me is as good as dead. It's over. And then the brothers, because of a famine were starving. They were losing their food source. And so they came down to Egypt to beg for food. And, and of all people, they came before Joseph. And in chapter 42, Joseph said, Okay, I'll give you food, but go back home and bring Benjamin. And that whole process probably took another six to nine months. And here Joseph is, knowing his brothers are there, waiting another six to nine months preparing his heart to forgive them. He already had spent 20 years preparing his heart to forgive them. This wasn't just an event. This was a process. Forgiveness is never an event. It is a process. You know, I forgive you. Yeah, right. If God isn't working in your heart, if you haven't worked through all the things, you're not going to extend true forgiveness. And so here, after 22 years plus, finally the moment arrives, and it's like this dam of love just bursts forth and washes over the ten brothers. I remember talking to a a pastor when I was much younger, and he said, you know what, we can never force forgiveness. You know, you you can't. I mean, if your heart isn't in it, you, you just can't. Force forgiveness. And a lot of us, we we deal with pain because we have unresolved relationships. And what do we do with that pain? If you try to force forgiveness, it doesn't really work. But on the other hand, if you take that pain and you just freeze yourself emotionally, that doesn't work either. You see, Joseph did neither. He didn't freeze himself and make his heart cold to deal with the pain. And he just didn't blab it out and force it. He just took his pain to God and said, God, here it is. Take my pain. And he was open and available for the chance of reconciliation to come to pass. Um, 
Recently, I went and I attended a family wedding. And uh, it was interesting because a husband and wife who were married for many years ago were there. And their son was getting married. And I watched him during the wedding. And their pain was so great that, that during the wedding and afterwards at the reception, they really couldn't be too close to each other. The pain was too great, so they avoided each other. You could see it. You know, if she got too close, he'd sort of turn and, and vice versa. You know, God calls us to trust in Him and to believe that He can make all wrongs right. It won't be easy. It won't be perfect. But it's possible. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, not only was this forgiveness a long time in coming, but it would be a long time in going. Joseph knew that old habits died hard. That old patterns aren't corrected overnight. He knew these ten brothers of his, and he knew it would take a lot of time for things to come full circle. He knew on the road back that they'd probably be bickering and quarreling because that's what they did 20 years ago. (laughs) Joseph was in touch with reality, with the human heart. He knows that the best of men are men at best. The best of women are women at best. That people are people. And when we forgive each other, listen, they're not going to reform perfectly. Their patterns aren't going to all of a sudden turn into crystal white snow. He knows the nature of people. And what does it take to forgive people? Well, you have to be willing to suffer for them, don't you? Wasn't there some part of the Bible that Jesus suffered for us on the cross so that we might come to God the Father and experience true love and reconciliation? You see, he said, don't quarrel on the way. Joseph was a shrewd test of character. He was the prime minister of Egypt. He knew how to read people. And he knew his brothers were a work in process. When he sent them off, it's it's all the more shocking when you think of it that he had to say that. Because in verse 19... Uh, Pharaoh came into the scenes and he said, Boys, don't worry about your possessions. The best of Egypt is yours. And he gave them these carts loaded with goods. I mean, everything must have been, you know, cloud nine. Uh, An elder of mine and I, we went to hear John McCain. And he flew into the Mosinee Airport. This is back in 08, I think, yes. Remember the can, you know, he was candidating. And he flew in, and, and so we went through security on the tarmac, and there was about 2,000 people there. John McCain flew over with his jet and made a pass, and everybody went, yeah! And he landed, and this automated step elevator thing came up to the plane, and it said, John McCain, straight talk, and he came out waving. Uh, to the sound of inspirational country music. I didn't hear any of that here up here today, but that's okay. Uh, but it was quite a moment. Um, and, and we were just pumped. 
You know these carts? These carts were probably like John McCain's straight talk jet. I mean, they were just absolutely impressive. Loaded down with goods. The best of the ancient world's modern transportation. And here, these these brothers, they had all the money. They had a brother who was in a high power position who forgave them. And Joseph says, don't quarrel on the way. (laughs) He knows. Humans are humans. And so he's, he's extending this touch of humanity. He's believing in God's sovereignty. And he knows in imperfect reality. It's the nature of forgiveness of a person whose heart longs after God. It is willing to work with people and to endure their foibles and follies. Do you have somebody right now in mind and you know, boy, things are rough. May this gospel truth speak to you. May you just catch a a glimmer of Jesus Christ suffering on the cross for you, that you might know God the Father. A while back, there was a a pastor, and uh, I heard about the story. It bothered me deeply. He um, had an affair uh, against his wife, with another woman, And eventually, he left his wife and moved in with his mistress. And it was a terrible situation. Um, A few pastors who knew him were working with him, talking with him, uh, presenting him opportunities to come to repentance, but in love. I mean, these guys were gentle with him, spent a lot of time with him. And I asked one of them um, later on in the process, because I heard this pastor supposedly repented. And I asked one of them, I said, you know, did he really repent? I mean, come on. I mean, he left his wife, moved in his mistress, uh, you know, living like somebody who you wouldn't think a pastor would live like, right? You know, is he really repentant? And I talked to a guy and he said, well, you know, out of a scale of 1 to 10, I'd give him a 7. That's pretty good. 10 is high, a 7, Right? And I remember feeling in my heart, boy, this guy, he just doesn't deserve forgiveness for what he did, the damage it will, it will cause his family members. He just doesn't deserve it. But then I thought of, hmm, David and Bathsheba in the Bible. I thought of Paul the Apostle. I thought of the ten brothers in our story today. And then I thought of my own life. And I thought, wow, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at the fact that you can take our hard hearts and you can soften them. You can make us available for your great work of reconciliation and redemption, one person at a time. And so, Father, I give you praise for that, that you do something in our hearts that if it was left up to us, it would never happen. And so, Father, I pray this morning that forgiveness 
would be extended. That for those people here, that your word would just crack their hard hearts like a crowbar and just pry it open a little bit so your love can seep in. That we might learn to extend forgiveness. And so, Father, I just pray um, as we think about somebody we might be at odds with, how you would have us live and how you would have us go forward from this morning. And so, Father, I pray this in Jesus Christ's strong name. Amen.